Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have this afternoon to reflect on the Holy Spirit and prayer and revival. And we pray that you would bless us as we, as we look at your leadings in the past. And we thank you that we have nothing to fear for the future, except we shall forget how you have worked in the past. So bless us, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 On the screen, I have a drawing of one of the reformers. Um, this is John Wesley. And I have a quotation from Ravi Zacharias on John Wesley. Wesley wore plain clothes. He preached 40,000 sermons during his lifetime. He traveled 250,000 miles on horseback preaching. He married at 48. He worked with 15 different languages. And at the age of 83, he was angry with his doctor because he wouldn't let him preach more than 14 times a week. At the age of 86, written in his journal are these words, laziness is slowly creeping in. There's an increasing desire or tendency to stay in bed after 5.30 in the morning. John Wesley was a driven individual and the Lord used him in a powerful and profound way to transform England and turn it back to God. I have a book in my library. It's entitled England Before and After Wesley. It's out of print. And the thesis of the book is in the title. It shows England before Wesley and then England after Wesley. England had collapsed to a degree that had never been before known to any Christian nation. And John Wesley and a group of his friends gathered together and prayed for England, prayed for the Holy Spirit, prayed for revival. And it began a series of events that transformed England on every level. England was revived, prisons were reformed, slavery was abolished, Christian ethics were reinserted into society, and industrial England was emancipated. It seems that there wasn't a segment of society that was not touched by the influence of John Wesley. And um, this, this afternoon, I'd like to talk about the relationship between prayer and revival. And when you look throughout history, you will note that with every significant spiritual awakening, there is always someone that has a radical prayer life. And you look at Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. You can see that Jesus is spending significant time in private prayer. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, But Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. There are several instances in Scripture where Jesus would spend the entire night in prayer as well. And the impact of Jesus was documented by the historian H.G. Wells. He says, in his five-volume work on history, historian and religious skeptic H.G. Wells found himself devoting the most space to Jesus Christ. He wrote, a historian like myself 
cannot portray the progress of humanity honestly without giving Jesus of Nazareth the foremost place. Jesus was an individual that spent significant time in prayer. And I want to go very quickly to different revivals in history. Every spiritual revival can be traced to a person of prayer. We just celebrated last year the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Incidentally, there was a fascinating article in the Catholic Herald where Pope Francis indicated that the Reformation was essentially over. And it's quite ironic that in a time of celebration for the 500th anniversary, that the Counter-Reformation has been overall largely successful in bringing Protestantism back. But here we are. The book Great Controversy, page 210, says, from the secret place of prayer came the power that shook the world in the Great Reformation. Luther did not fail to devote three hours each day to prayer, and these were taken from that portion of day most favorable to study. Here he is, a, an obscure monk in Wittenberg, and he prays for the Holy Spirit and revival. And the greatest revolution in the modern era took place, the Protestant Reformation, and it came from a praying individual. You have Elijah on Mount Carmel, and then James chapter 5, verse 17 says, Elijah was a human being even as we are, and he prayed earnestly for the revival that took place in Israel. You have the upper room experience where they were gathered in a prayer meeting. The whole book of Acts in the Christian church started in a prayer meeting. And uh, E.M. Bound says this, God shapes the world by prayer. Prayer is God's singular condition to move ahead in his son's kingdom. Therefore, the believer who is the most highly skilled in prayer will do the most for God. And the secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to pray. I've often wondered this. Um, why should I pray if God already knows? Doesn't he want to intervene? Doesn't he desire to intervene? Isn't God a God of love and all power, which means not only does he have the ability, but he has the desire. And in my reflection of scripture, I've come to the conclusion that there is a certain limit in which he will intervene in the life of an individual. And when we pray for revival, specifically in terms of intercessory prayer, it gives God permission to intervene above and beyond what he would normally be able. It gives God authorization. Remember in that story of that man that was paralyzed and his four friends brought him to Jesus? It's interesting because in Mark's account, the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, in other words, it was the collective faith of the people that were bringing their friend to Jesus that was a part of the process that brought about his healing. You can have faith for someone else. And so intercessory prayer gives God authorization and permission to move above and beyond what he would normally be able. And when we pray for the Holy Spirit and revival, God has permission to move in the lives of individuals. This is from Review and Herald, page 
1889, by your fervent prayers of faith, you can move the arm that moves the world. Steps of Christ, page 94, prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse. And I read a book last year on Hudson Taylor. Uh, my son is named Hudson, and uh, I was so moved by the missionary spirit of Hudson Taylor that we're so honored to name our son after him. And this is an account of Hudson Taylor at a prayer meeting. Mr. Taylor opened the meeting by leading out in a hymn his appearance did not impress me. He was slightly built and spoke in a quiet voice, but when he said, let us pray, and proceeded to lead the meeting in prayer, my ideas underwent a change. I never heard anyone pray like that. There was a simplicity, a tenderness, a boldness, a power that hushed and subdued me and made it clear that God had admitted him to the inner circle of his friendship. Such praying was evident the outcome of long tarrying in the secret place and was as the dew from the Lord. To hear Mr. Taylor plead for China was to know something of what it is meant by the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. The meeting lasted from four to six o'clock, but it seemed one of the shortest prayer meetings I had ever attended. And Hudson Taylor began an organization to reach China and made a commitment not to ask or solicit anyone for funding. By the end of his tenure with this missionary organization, hundreds of individuals had signed up for missionary service to China. And millions of dollars were raised. I had the privilege and opportunity of ministering in Los Angeles as a Bible worker in South Central LA and we pitched a tent on Florence and Figueroa and it's known as Prostitution Lane and we were staying in Compton and ministering in Watts as well and I was going door to door with a big six foot three oh, praise God for this partner <laughs> black guy, and uh, oh, I was praising God. I was walking through Watts, and um, I remember one night, uh, I heard firecrackers outside on July 1st, and I said, why do they celebrate July 4th on July 1st in Compton? And uh, my friend said, David, that's not fireworks, that's gunshots. And uh, I said, oh, that's... Uh, it was quite experienced, but, but we went door to door uh, for about 11 weeks, and it was a very simple process. We would go to the door and say, uh, we are in the neighborhood and we'd like to pray for you. Do you have a prayer request? And people were just telling us what they wanted to pray for, and so we'd write down their prayer requests and go back to our rooms, and every other night, uh, for 11 weeks, we prayed all night. It was pretty radical. Um, I remember one time I fell asleep and everyone left me in that room and I woke up to this <laughs> terror. And uh, anyways, we, we would pray um, through every single name and asking for God's intervention. We had a list, I think, just of my partner and myself of like 200 individuals. 
and we would pray name by name, and uh, we saw miracles. Um, no mail out, just door to door, and there were 800 to 1,000 people every single night coming mm. to that tent mm. to hear the gospel being preached. And there were about 300 baptisms mm -hmm. as a result, and it changed my life. I saw people from the door to the meetings to baptism. Amen. And I remember just being beside the baptistry uh, in tears as I saw the individual that I had been the first contact go down into the water and be baptized. It was a transformative experience. And I can tell you that I believe it was the prayers of those Bible workers that brought the people out every single night. This is from Dr. Wilbur Chapman. He says, revivals are born in prayer. When Wesley prayed, England was revived. When Knox prayed, Scotland was refreshed. When the Sunday school teachers of Tannenbrook prayed, 11,000 young people were added to the church in a year. Whole nights of prayer have always been succeeded by whole days of soul winning. You can see it throughout history. Every single revival is linked to a radical prayer life. You can't get around it. And here we are in an age of tremendous resources and money and technology, yet you cannot eliminate this factor of radical praying for the Holy Spirit and revival. It, it is there all throughout Scripture. And so I'd like to go very quickly. Three keys, praying for revival. This is so elementary, but I can't pass by. Number one, ask. And we noted this last night in our presentation on the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. Look at how many times Jesus says, ask. So I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a person asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus says six times, ask, 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 ask for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brings all other blessings in his train. The Holy Spirit is what brings revival. And Jesus says, ask for the Holy Spirit. He's telling us what to ask for. The Holy Spirit, the greatest gift that heaven longs to bestow is the Holy Spirit. And as we noted last night, in the original language, it literally says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who keep on asking? In other words, it's not ask once and done. It is a continual posture of asking for the Holy Spirit. Last night we noted the quotation from Christ Object Lessons, page 145. God does not say, ask once and you will receive. He bids us ask unwearingly persistent prayer. The persistent asking brings the petitioner into a more earnest attitude and gives him an increased desire to receive 
the things for which he asks. In other words, it's not as though God is up there saying, look, uh, David's asked me 50 times, now I'm going to grant him his request. But there's something about prayer that increases our capacity to receive. There's an increased desire to receive the Holy Spirit when we are continually asking for the Holy Spirit. Great Controversy, page 525. It is part of God's plan to grant us in answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not bestow did we not ask. James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not has, have because you do not ask. I have a picture on the screen of Evan Roberts, and he began to pray for the Holy Spirit at the age of 13 and to pray for whales. And this is a true story. You can look it up in your history books. In 1904, Evan Roberts, age 26, began to preach. 17 young people gave their hearts to God. 70,000 people were converted in two months. 85,000 in five months. 100,000 in six months. I had to look this up because I thought it was fiction, but this is true. It was the great revival of 1904. Taverns were closed for lack of business. Crime plummeted, and Wales was revived. Here's an individual that was praying for 13 years for a revival, and he preached the gospel, and a dramatic, genuine revival took place. And I think of this quotation from the book Selected Messages, page 121, a revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. Do we need revival in our church today? Amen. We need revival in the local church all the way up. We need the Holy Spirit as never before. And as I reflected on the challenges that face our community of faith moving forward, it will take a supernatural solution because we're facing a supernatural problem. We need help. I'm not saying that we don't need to organize and to plan and to do and to work, but this is what we've been doing all along. We need the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will only be given in answer to prayer, to continually asking for the Holy Spirit, and a revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. Here's the other element of praying for revival, and it's, a, it's almost a dirty word here in the 21st century. It is the word sacrifice. It is the word sacrifice. Now, this is not to say that our prayers and our sacrifice are meritorious in earning. This is not some sort of transactional thing that ha happens in which we merit revival by the duration of time that we pray. But there's a transformative process that takes place in this posture of asking and personal sacrifice. Now, what type of sacrifice are we talking about? I'm talking about sleep, okay? I'm not saying that we should sacrifice our sleep, but it, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when you get up in the morning and that alarm clock goes off 
and you want to hit the snooze button, but here it is. Um, it, it is talking beyond that, uh, even whole nights in prayer. Here it is in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It was a time that he went, it was at this time that he, Jesus, went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Jesus would spend time at key points in his ministry all night in prayer. Now, this is a radical idea, a radical notion, and uh, Jesus was sacrificing his sleep. And this is from E.M. Bounds. He says, there was a time when we gave whole nights to chambering and to wantonness, to dancing and the world's reverie. We did not tire then. We were chiding the sun that rose so soon and wishing the hours would lad a while that we might delight in wilder merriment and perhaps deeper sin. Oh, why do we weary in heavenly employments? Why do we grow weary when asked to watch with our Lord? How many of you, before you came to Christ, don't raise your hands, spent entire night partying? And you would get up and sleep the whole next day, and it was just glorious. And suddenly, after you come to Christ and you're asked to spend some time in prayer, oh, that's, that's legalism. You can't do that. That's sacrificial. Now, I had an experience in my previous district in East Lansing. I'd arrived at this district in 2007 in Michigan. And 2008 happened, and Michigan was hit particularly hard. The bottom of the economy fell out, and Michigan is closely tied with the auto industry, and everything fell off a cliff, including our church budget. I just arrived at this church, and our church budget um, just went into the negative immediately because our own members were being affected by this, and uh, we had an emergency church board meeting. It slashed every budget. And I remember I was at a prayer meeting, Wednesday night prayer meeting, and our members came together and said, Pastor, um, we need to have a real prayer meeting. This is not prayer meeting. This is Bible study, and we praise the Lord for that, but we need to actually come to prayer meeting and pray. So I looked at these members, and I said, well, are you willing to pray sacrificially for revival and the Holy Spirit? And they said, yes, Pastor, we are going to pray for the Holy Spirit and revival sacrificially. And I said, are you sure you want to do this? And they said, absolutely. I said, I'll tell you what. This next Sunday morning, I'll be at the church at 4 a.m., you be there you should have seen their eyes <laughs> eyes became like saucers and they were like okay and they walked out the door I found out later one husband and wife couple they're walking out the door and they said that man is insane <laughs> I said why didn't you stop that man and the, and the wife said why didn't you stop him and I showed up that next Sunday, Sunday morning. Now, mind you, many times Saturdays for a minister goes very long and, and into the night. And so in order to get to the church by 4, I need to be up at least by 3. So I'm exhausted. I get up at 3. I go to the church at 4. And being somewhat cynical, I assume that I'd be the only person there. So I've taken care of that problem and have my own little prayer meeting and just show up the next app and say, where were you? I didn't see you there. Pray for revival. Huh? Sacrificially. So I show up there 4 a.m. fully expecting to be the only person there. And suddenly I hear the doors open and in files in a group of bloodshot-eyed 
hair going every place. <laughs> they kind of came in and they said, Pastor, we are here to pray for the Holy Spirit and revival. And I said, all right, let's go. And so we would pray from 4 to 6 a.m. And we continued to do that for the next six months. I mean, this is in the Adventist church where I can't even get my saints to come out at 9.30 for Sabbath school. 4 a.m., Sunday morning. And the Lord was doing something. And I, and I said, how long is this going to go? Finally, we decided to move that time just because a number of reasons from, from 4 to 7. Okay, so it was still sacrificial for a Sunday morning. From 4 to 7 a.m. And we would pray specifically for the Holy Spirit and revival. 7 to 9. And we continued that. I stayed in that district for almost seven years. And we began that partway through my first year. So for the next six years, every morning, Sunday, 7 a.m., was a group of individuals that were gathering together to pray for the Holy Spirit and for revival. And let me tell you what happened. Just from a financial standpoint, uh, and remember, the Holy Spirit brings all their ble other blessings in his train, and we saw in the greatest economic crisis since the Great Depression, and especially in Michigan, our church budget that year started to go the other way. And we ended that year in the black. Mind you, every single year after that, we ended with a surplus. On top of that, we hired an associate pastor, a Bible worker, and a web pastor from the local church providing health care for all of them. So people were opening their pocketbooks as they saw the Holy Spirit moving in the congregation, and we were able to do marvelous things in that church and in that community. And the reason why the Lord was giving us resources, financial resources, is because the Lord puts his money where his mouth is. And the, suddenly that church was galvanized to reach Michigan State University, which has over 40,000 students for Christ. Here's a few of their stories. On the left-hand side, we have Michelle Odima. She was a black, backslidden Seventh-day Adventist at Michigan State University. The Holy Spirit touched her life. She accepted the Lord, recommitted her life, and started giving Bible studies to her roommate on the right-hand side, Renee, a non-Adventist roommate. Long story short, Michelle gave her uh, new roommate Bible studies, and uh, I had the privilege of baptizing Renee. She later became our student association president. Mm -hmm. Renee got on fire for the Lord. She's on the left-hand side. She was just recently baptized during that time. And then she started giving Bible studies to Taryn, who was um, at Michigan State University, had no Adventist connections, and our students were out there giving surveys and so forth, and Taryn signed up for Bible studies, and Taryn was baptized. Taryn was baptized. She later became our student association president and started giving Bible studies as well, and she was at the union at a table um, with some literature and so forth, and she met Elva, and Elva took Bible studies, and Elva was baptized. 
I mean, this is just remarkable. And so each one of these students are winning other students for the Lord. And then um, you have this gentleman right here uh, is, is Anthony Burrell. Now, Anthony Burrell is the son of a Baptist minister. He was in the jazz program at Michigan State University, and he was their rising star. He was the individual that was going to be someone. He had a full scholarship to Michigan State University in the jazz program, incredible saxophone player. And he's there, and we have uh, Carlo's not in this picture, but Carlo Dorvey, he plays sometimes at uh, these different youth conferences at GYC. He played this past time, he has one arm. Uh, Carlo was in the same program at MSU, and he engages Anthony and says, look, uh, you want to study the Bible with me? Later, Anthony gave his testimony and said, look, I was going to show this brother something, you know, because you know, I'm the son of a Baptist preacher. Anyways, they have a study, and Carlo gives him a study on Daniel 2. <laughs> and Anthony is like, Carlo, you are a Bible scholar. I have never heard anything like this in my life. And Carlo says, this is just the beginning. <laughs> so he brings him out. Anthony starts attending our church. He becomes convicted on the Sabbath and our entire message. He calls his father up because he is scared that his father is going to disown him, potentially, he calls his father up and says, I've been studying with the Seventh-day Adventist church, and I'm convicted, and I'm convinced to become a Seventh-day Adventist. And his father told him, son, my greatest desire for you is to follow your convictions. Amen. We baptize this man. Amen. We baptize this man. He's in the jazz program at MSU. We did not say one word on music or anything. You know, you don't, you don't have to be the Holy Spirit, amen? And uh, there's no absence in the third person of the Godhead. And so suddenly he comes into my office distraught, and he says, Pastor, I need to meet with you. I was working in the cafeteria, and I felt convicted by the Lord to give up the jazz program and to go into gospel ministry. And he said, Pastor, the problem is the moment I drop out of the jazz program, I lose everything. A $40,000 annual scholarship to MSU, free ride. I have to move out of the dormitory. And I'm sitting there. I said, we need to pray because I feel responsible. And what do we do with this? And, and he's receiving pressure from his mom who's saying, you are crazy, you know, be a Seventh-day Adventist and stay in the jazz program. Why are you going to walk away from this? Like, you know, what are you doing? And so he's feeling all this pressure. And I said, Anthony, you, you pray about this and, and so forth. And immediately I got on the phone and started working the different members of our church and saying, this is our situation. Long story short, Anthony gives in his notice that he's dropping out of the jazz program at Michigan State University, and he has nowhere to go. So we galvanize our congregation, and we send him to Emmanuel Institute, Michigan Conference, and um, 
He gets trained there. He comes back, and the church hires him as a Bible worker. He goes canvassing that summer. And just this year, Anthony graduated from Southern Adventist University and is now ministering on the East Coast as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I believe it began when a small group of people decided to sacrificially pray. To sacrificially pray for the Holy Spirit. I uh, skipped a slide here earlier on. I, I want to read this from um, Roger Morneau. Notice what Roger Morneau says. And I knew exactly where to find the power to help such people in prayer and supplication to God who waits for our request for help so that he will then have the legal right in the sight of the universe to move with power into Satan's domain and rescue his captives. To have legal right to move forward. In other words, there are rules in the great controversy. Remember in the book of Jude when Jesus is going to raise Moses from the dead. Who was there to contend him? It was Satan. In other words, God was going to move in an unprecedented manner to raise someone from the dead. And Lucifer, Satan, is there saying, look, you can't do that. What authorization do you have? So at every step when God is about to move, Satan is there to contest. Satan is there to contest. So when God goes to move in the life of your family member who's apart from the Lord, Satan is there saying, look, you can't do that. You don't have authorization. And yet Jesus is able to say, look, the Lord rebuke you because he may not have asked for this, but his mom has been praying for him. I have permission to move. Excuse me. This is the way that it works in the great conference. So when you have a group of people that are praying for the Holy Spirit to move and to revive Loma Linda for the Lord Jesus, I believe that God is able to move in an unprecedented manner that he would not have had authorization to prior to those individuals praying. It's not as though God loved the East Lansing Church more than any other church. It's that God had clearance beyond what he would normally be able because of that small group of people that were praying for revival and the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Anthony Burrell is a Seventh-day Adventist minister today because of those saints that gathered together faithfully at 7 a.m. to pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the campus of Michigan State University. I believe that. Um, I want to go back and tell a few more stories. We have Anthony. This is, this is Lu Yang. She came from China as an exchange student, atheist. But she was very open and curious about other religions, and so she was given a catechism. And she was holding this catechism on Grand Avenue there in Michigan State. 
Grand River Avenue, and one of our students, Carlo again, saw that she was holding a catechism, and you gotta love Carlo because he was on fire, and uh, he had this card that was made from Vista Print. It said, free Bible studies, answers to life's most difficult questions. And he doesn't know a stranger. So he sees Lou there holding a catechism. He says, hi, have you been reading that? Are you interested in Christianity? And he gives her his card. <laughs> and he's like, hey, where are you going on the bus? And he's trying to figure out a way to logistically get on the same bus that she's on. And he's not able to work that out, but gives her the card. Long story short, she responds to the card in an email and says, I want to give, get Bible study. She starts coming to our church. And uh, we, the church was very gracious to her because she needed a place to study. And so we would give her a room in the church to study um, any night that she wanted. She would be at the church studying and doing her homework. She became a part of our family. And I remember one evening, my associate pastor, uh, Daniel Jean-Francois, um, we were eating in the fellowship hall and uh, Daniel came in and he said, David, we, we got to go. And I could tell by the look on his face that that uh, th there was something important. So he said, look, Lou, Lou right now is in the valley of decision and, and we, need to, we need to call her to a decision right now. And so I said, okay, let's go. So I wiped my mouth, went to his office and sat down and I could tell by her face that she was convicted. She was convicted. I sat there and I said, Lou, I can sense that the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. Would you, right now, like to kneel down and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And I could see at the corner of her eye, a tear went down her cheek, and she said yes. And uh, <clears throat> I want to tell you, she knelt down, this Chinese atheist, and accepted Christ as her Savior. And two weeks later, we were baptizing her as a Seventh-day Adventist. She came to America as an atheist and left as an Adventist. It was a, a remarkable experience to see the Lord move. And I am so tired of mediocre. Amen? I'm tired of average. When I read the book of Acts, I'm like, why can't that happen? today. Now, same Holy Spirit, same Jesus in heaven. We need to have the upper room experience. We need to have that, that experience. The other aspect of it is to live authentically the experience and to remember that God changes the world by first changing me. Revival begins with the individual. Ministry of Healing, page 649, the officers who were sent to Jesus came back with a report that never a man spoke as he spoke, but the reason for this was never a man lived as he lived. This is Michelle Odema, who I showed you earlier. She was going to door, door to door south of Lansing, and she met this individual at the door, Christian Bull, and started giving him Bible studies. He was baptized. And a few weeks later, his mom showed up at our church, his dad showed up at our church, his brother showed up at our church, and his aunt showed up at our church. And you know what his mom said? His mom said, I wanted to go to the church that had been instrumental in changing my son's life. 
In other words, when she saw the transformation in Christian, she said, I want to be a part of that. She was baptized. Her son was baptized. In order to convince others of the power of Christ's grace, we must know its power in our own hearts and lives. And I want to encourage you to, to pray for the Holy Spirit and for revival. Now, I arrived in Anchorage, Alaska. It'll be four years this October. And I had been in this congregation for about two years. And I had a conversation with God and I said, Lord, I don't know what's wrong, but how come I'm not seeing the same types of things that were happening in East Lansing in Anchorage? And uh, the Holy Spirit came to me and said, David, it's because you're not praying like you were in East Lansing. I felt so convicted. I called the elders together and I said, look, um, I feel convicted that we need to pray for the Holy Spirit in revival. And I'm not forcing any of you to attend. I can't anyways, it's a volunteer organization. You found out that very quickly as a pastor. And, but I said, look, I, and I won't judge you if you don't show up. I know that we're all busy. I'm just letting you know that I'm gonna be there. And if you'd like to join me, 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, I want to invite you to come and also invite other people in our congregation that may be interested. And so, I told them also, I'm not going to make a big push from the front. I'm not going to make an appeal. Please join us Sunday morning. I said, I'm just going to leave it in the bulletin. You're amazed uh, how much the bulletin is like... Uh, no one reads it anyways. Uh, so, so I'm just going to leave it in there and we're going to let this go by word, word of mouth. And then the next Sunday morning, I was shocked to not only have every one of our elders there, but 25 people showed up and it's cold in Alaska, you know, and, and, and freezing and, and, and snow. So, so they, they came and we started to pray for the Holy Spirit and for revival, and I mean, this seems to be like a trend. I arrived at the church, and we were bleeding money. I'm like, what in the world's going on? You know, bleeding thousands of dollars, and we started to pray for the Holy Spirit and revival, and the Lord started to bring souls in, and I just looked at our church budget statement, and we are $50,000 in the black. $50,000 in the black, and we were praying for the Holy Spirit and revival. It's been a little over a year now in which this has been taking place. And just two Sabbaths ago, we had the privilege of, of baptizing, right before I came, uh, these two individuals. We got an email about a month ago from a remote island in Alaska, the middle of nowhere. They have to take a boat out there. They run their entire house on generators and solar, solar panels. And I don't know how, but someone sent them a great controversy. True story. I mean, I baptized them two weeks ago. And someone sent them a great controversy. They, they read the book Great Controversy and they said, this is the truth. This is the truth. And online, 
They just studied their way into the church, accepted every one of our beliefs, and they said, that woman, Ellen White, what a gift. What a gift. So they call me and they said, Pastor, we're ready to be baptized. And I said, praise God. So I talked with them some more and they were clear on every single one of our beliefs. They came to our church two Sabbaths ago and we had a baptism that just blessed our congregation. And for the sermon, I talked about the three wise men. Well, there weren't three. We don't know from Scripture. We assume it is. But the wise men that came to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that it was a star, but it was really angels that led them to Jerusalem. Notice that God led those men not straight to Bethlehem, but to his church. And notice the response of the church. They knew exactly where in the prophet Micah's writings, Micah 5.2, where the child was to be born, in Bethlehem. And they're like, yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Yawn, pass it off. And these individuals go on to Bethlehem. And I said, look, every time we have an experience like this, it's a wake-up call to our church. It's a wake-up call because those individuals in Jerusalem were so listless and lethargic and went right back to their haystacks and to their veggie meat and their, and I praise the Lord for those types of things, but you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> to their comfortable Adventist culture. The transformation that we are experiencing at Hillside O'Malley, and I believe that God led those people to, to our congregation. I mean, what, what a remarkable thing that took place. I highly recommend this book, um, Steps to Personal Revival by Helmut Habil. You can get it online. Um, you can download it. Uh, just search for the title, and you can download it as a free ebook. Um, it's, it's a reflection of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy on this notion of the Holy Spirit and revival. And we've been sharing in our congregation and have been tremendously blessed as we have a core of individuals that have been praying for the Holy Spirit and for revival. And I want to encourage you to get this book. They'll actually mail it to you for a minimal fee if you want a hardback copy of this. But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to move on the campus of Loma Linda University. Okay. Amen? I was talking to an individual this afternoon and they were saying how a large percentage of the students that come here have no Adventist affiliation. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. The Lord is bringing people here, right to our doorstep. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. It's going to happen. The latter rain is going to happen. That is a fact. And we have the tremendous opportunity to receive the latter rain. Amen? And I believe the Holy Spirit 
can and will move on this campus and this city and this state as never before, and it only takes a handful of individuals that are committed to first sacrificially praying for the Holy Spirit and for revival. And I tell our Sunday morning prayer group, I said, look, I don't care about the numbers. It doesn't matter. It just takes a group, a small group even, that are committed to pressing together to ask for the Holy Spirit to have that upper room experience. I believe Advent hope that God has called you for such a time as this. Amen? Amen. To pray for the Holy Spirit and revival, I'm going to end with this quotation from Ellen White in the book Home Missionary, a revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. When churches are revived, it is because some individual, and notice she doesn't even say individuals, some individual seeks earnestly for the blessing of God. And God is calling for a people that is willing to open themselves and be transformed to increase the capacity to receive the Holy Spirit that heaven is longing to pour out on his church. God is not reluctant to give us the Holy Spirit. He is longing. It's the greatest gift that heaven longs to bestow upon men. And here we are, 2019. Now is the time, amen? Now is the time to press together and to plead for the Holy Spirit and to say, Lord, may you change the world and may it begin with me. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father in heaven, here we are, 2019. And Lord, we have a supernatural problem that requires a supernatural solution. Father, we need that upper room experience. You are calling your church to gather together in that upper room, to lay self aside, to humble ourselves, to be reconciled to our brethren and sisters, and to say, Lord, Pour out your spirit upon your people. Revive us. Transform us. And Father, I pray for Loma Linda, this institution that has been raised by God to reach the world through the medical missionary work. And we pray that your vision for us might be realized. We pray that you would start a movement here that when the red latter rain falls upon your people, that there would be a host of individuals that are here ready to receive the outpouring of your spirit. We pray for transformations. We pray for conversion. We pray for your people to be revived. We know that you've heard and answered our prayers, for we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio 
and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.